Blog Talk Radio. from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. At least that's where I'm sitting right now. Dr. Ross Green here with another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. And the reason I said that's where I'm sitting is because today's a parents panel day. And the parents panel is not sitting in Portland, Maine right now. They are sitting uh, in other places um, in the United States and Canada. Um, and uh, we've only got one more of these left before we take the summer off. This is the April parents panel. Um, we've got one in May, and then we're going to take June, July, and August off before we start up again in September. Um, but let's get this show on the road. Susie, how are you today? Very well, thanks. How are you? I am slowly but surely getting my energy back from the flu that never ends. Actually, the flu ends. The fatigue does not end, but slowly but surely. And Anna, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. I I don't have the flu, so I'm fine. Um, Well, and you don't want this flu because it is unpleasant. No, no. I bet. And... um, when you lead the high-energy life that most of us lead, me included, being uh, energy-tapped, not ideal, but we plow our way through. Of course, so do parents of behaviorally challenging kids plow their way through. And um, here's what we thought we'd talk about today. I get lots of emails, of course, asking me if the model is appropriate for kids of certain ages. And here's what's amazing. I get about an equal number of email saying that, for example, the explosive child seems to be geared toward older kids. Is it appropriate for my younger kid? I get 50% of those, and I, the other 50% are the, appro- the explosive child seems more geared to younger kids. Is it appropriate for my older kid? Um, I thought we might talk about that a little bit today. Who Who is this model appropriate for and at what ages? And as I usually do on this program, I'm going to try to sit back and let you all take the ball and run with it. Um, who wants to go first? Oh, uh, I'll, I'll just pick one of you. Go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in. <laughs> all right. I I think it's never too early to... Start understanding your child. That's um, because children do well if they can. And it's by teaching them lagging skills and solving problems together, this um, builds a positive self-esteem and uh, facilitates their growth and development. Uh, I think you can you know, start as early as two years of age um, because you're trying to be responsive to the hand you've been dealt. Um, One of the things that 
I love about the model is that by understanding your child, that's that's very special to the child. Um, maybe some of the first times that, that that's ever been done and that connection and uh, working, solving problems together proactively um, builds or repairs relationships. And um, the other thing about the model, as I've said before, is that it there is no magic pill, but it does give you hope. And um, hope is something that we can always use. Anna, what do you think? When when you were saying who does the, who's the model for my my impulse flirt would be husbands, <laughs> 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 but that not that that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Everybody, um, I came to the model. My son was just almost done grade one, so I guess he was seven, and. It instantly became clear how effective it was with him. It was such a paradigm shift for me, and then to and then I started like seeing this will work in any situation with anybody, and and uh, and I joke when I say my husband, but everybody. I I try to use this any problem there is. I try to. As soon as I can disengage in, in whatever the, the problem is in the heat of the moment, it, as soon as I stand back and, and center myself, I can come at the problem using Plan B. And, and it's, I, I don't know who it wouldn't work with. Like even like my, my teenager, she's 16, and, and so I'll, you know, there'll be something I'll say, you know, you seem to be having difficulty, whatever the problem, insert problem, irrelevant what it is, what's up and they're like don't use that she's older and she's read the book too and, and she, don't try that stuff on me but then we'll promptly start right in on the empathy step and telling me her point of view so it's very funny how how she initially is like don't try that stuff with me and at the same time instantly engages and and my other son I have a, a 12 year old and he was having trouble I can't remember what it was, getting up, going to bed, something. I said, you know, you seem to have trouble getting to school on time. What's up? And I think that was like the first time, after, other than my, my explosive son, that I took the, like consciously took the, the model out of dealing with him and, and, and specifically thought, I thought, this is a problem that's been going on with the 12-year-old. I'm going to take him out by himself. We're going to go for a bike ride, and I'm going to try. And his point, like, as always, what's in their way is, like, not what you think it is, and the solution is is there, and the, and the being heard is is so strong. And, and it's amazing. So I do hear a lot of, yeah, but it's, it, you know, it sounds great, yeah, but you know my son really won't go to bed, or yeah, but my daughter really won't eat her vegetables, or 
yeah, but she really won't wash her hair. Like there's nothing, I, I can't think of anything that with perseverance can't be solved with this. Well, and, and I think oh, I'm sorry, it's for everybody. Anna. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to add, it's just how Dr. Green teaches that by using the model and going on the, quote, journey, you understand all human beings better. Yep, yep, yep. Definitely. And some people really, like I have a friend and she she's pretty instinctively, here's a perfect yeah, but. So my friend who I would say instinctively kind of has those lenses of kids do well if they can. And uh, she, so she, I was on the phone talking to her and she said to me, yeah, but what if you have to, what if you have to draw the line because this is an absolutely, we will not do this in our house. And like, is there room for that? And so I was like, well, can you give me an example? And she said, okay, what if one of my kids called their sibling a word that I won't say? (laughs) And I said, I think that your kids know that. And if they did do that thing that is absolutely not allowed in your house, you would see that for the cry of help it is. And she's like, you're right. (laughs) And, And so... I think that was her way of asking, like, all this democracy is fine, but somewhere there has to be the bottom line. And and I think, like Tom says over and over and over from the teachers panel, that the expectations are expectations. But when people can't meet expectations, you have to figure out why. And so that's kind of, I think, what she was asking. Like, and what about when they do something that's really bad? It's like, well, basically kids are good. So if they do do something that's really bad, there's a reason. And, and, and she's, like I said, she's pretty much a natural at that kind of parenting. And I think she was relieved, actually, to have that question answered. I didn't even know that she had that question kind of in the back of her head, but I think she might have had it, been thinking about it for a long time. So I think maybe yeah, parents are afraid of to to take it because then it's uh, yeah. But what if they do something really unacceptable? Well, there's a reason. If you believe kids do well if they can, there's a reason they're doing something unacceptable in a maladaptive way because they need help. And you back up, and you then you'll see they don't want to do that. Did that make any sense? <laughs> now we feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> Makes sense to me. What you both seem to be saying is that there's no age at which you wouldn't want to try to figure out what's getting in the way for your kid. Beginning with infancy and continuing forever there's no age at which you wouldn't want to be responsive to the hand you've been dealt and know what hand you've been dealt so that you're in a better position to be responsive to it. Having trouble coming up with any age at which people wouldn't want to do that. 
the interesting thing is I think that it is fairly universal that people would say, yeah, if you have an infant, you do want to figure out what's upsetting the infant and try to be responsive to that. Um, you do want to know what's getting in the way for your infant because your infant can't do much about it, him or herself. The question that comes up for me is, why do we end that mentality and stop doing that as kids move beyond infancy and beyond the toddler years? Our mentality seems to change, and the stance we take toward kids tends to change. And I wonder what that's about. Can I just jump in, actually, on what you just said? Because I, I, let's, lots of parents are responsive to their infant, but lots of them are not. Lots of them, you know, I think we're coming out of that not being responsive to infants, but I think a lot of people are putting their infants to bed and letting them cry it out. And so I think that, I think of my mom actually in this, when I had my oldest and and uh, she was crying and crying, my mom's like, you know, it's not going to kill her to go four hours without being fed. But I think, so certainly when my mom was having kids, that's how often you fed an infant, every four hours. Maybe every three if they were little, really underweight or something. But also, my mom, I was the youngest of seven, so I bet I was fed every four hours because you had six other people to feed in the meantime. Like, you make your life work the way it does. So, I, like, that's the way my mother taught me to look after an infant, that it, and certainly by the time I had my oldest, it was, you know, you might want to feed them every three hours. By the time I had my last one, it's like, you just nurse them all the time and that makes them happy and quiet. But I still uh, am exposed to people who let their babies cry. And I, uh, so I think it starts in infancy that we ignore the plight of our children. I feel guilty. I remember my second, I let her cry. And I feel terrible about that. And now that I, because when I started the model, my son was six, I think, what if I had a known? What if I had a read that with my oldest? What if I had a started? Maybe, you know, the, the twos and the threes and the fours that he was tantruming, maybe we could have avoided a lot of that. I, 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 it, I mean, it would be interesting to find out, but not so much I'm interested to have another child and try. <laughs> I'll just let someone else do that. But I believe that you could be responsive. Well, it's an interesting thing, the letting kids cry part, because for a while, based on some popular ways of thinking about infants and sleep and convenience and a variety of factors, for a while, parents thought that that was good parenting. I think um, they still do. People are still ferberizing their babies. They are. Here, here's the good part. Dr. Ferber has changed his mind. Um, so... Um, even for Dr. Ferber, that's an old way of doing things. 
But yes, people are still ferberizing, but often they're ferberizing. Of course, we could debate this for the entire program. Why are they ferberizing? Some are doing it um, for convenience's sake. They um, don't want to deal with their kid at night. Some are doing it because they think it's the right thing to do. Um, interesting balance between what works for the adult, what works for the kid, what needs to be tailored to this individual kid. Um, I think that the worst thing we could do is think that there is a one-size-fits-all way of dealing with any kid. Some yeah, kids need different things. Um, what works for one kid may not work for another. Um, and there are parents who ferberized and are perfectly happy that they did it and don't think that it caused any ill effects whatsoever and, in fact, speak of it with great um, glory because um, they were rested and they feel that that's a pretty good thing if you're dealing with an infant. But I think it's a delicate balance between doing what seems to work for your kid and doing what seems to work for you. Um, and that's not always an easy balance to maintain. What are, y'all, what are your thoughts on that? I think that I've met a woman who said she was so sleep-deprived she had two very close together that she couldn't even drive, and she was a danger to her family. <laughs> and she had a sleep coach come in and do that. And so I think it's the lesser of two evils. I think if a, a person is so sleep-deprived that that they're, it's unsafe, <laughs> that, that maybe that is. And she said, you know, I, I was unfunctioning. So that's my, I, I agree, you have to do what works for your family. And a, and a woman who hasn't had more than an hour's sleep in any length of time, more than two nights, <laughs> then something has to be, she needs help. Um, I think when our son was having his most difficulties, um, it was, prioritizing him and putting his needs first and everybody else's were kind of on the back burner. It was, you know, triage and who needed the most help and he certainly did. So, again, I agree. Um, it's very difficult to to find that balance between you and your child. But I also wanted to just add, do we want to give in the call-in number for parents to possibly call in? I think that's a spectacular idea. Um, I tweeted it, but I didn't announce it. Mm-hmm. 347-994-2981, uh, if parents want to call in. Um, you know, it's interesting. We are, some would say that we are living in the me generation. Um, And I've often thought if you look at commercials, they do seem to tap into that, that um, you got to take care of you. It's all about you. Um, Do what's good for you. Um, One would have to hope that that changes. 
when there's a, um, a little kid in the mix and it can't be all about you. If it's all about you, one would say that that would get in the way of being responsive to the hand you've been dealt. I wonder how people who are being raised in the me generation are, in general, handling the fact that when you have a little kid, it's about we, not me. Tough adjustment for many to make. I thought that, too, recently, but then I've had a series of experiences that tell me differently. Let's hear them. And um, sir, it was kind of, so I'm on the board of a nonprofit, and there was kind of two things around there where I was, we were kind of like, how can we get the word out? And I'm like, you know, we really need to gear our advertising in kind of a jokey way and, and, uh, like if you look at it's almost like if you look at the title of parenting books they're all kind of jokey like your your life's going to hell in a handbasket let me help you kind of titles so i was kind of saying we should do that too but then i met some of our the people that are were our clients and they don't think that way they don't think that it's a joke they don't want to be spoken to like they think it's a joke. So that was one thing. The other thing is, I get really upset when people talk about the entitlement of youth today and because that's not my experience either. And they, we've raised our children to speak up for themselves, and they are. And people don't want to hear what they have to say. And... So the people in authority are still caught up in rules and the kids are like, I can do what I want. And really what they want to do is good. In lots of examples, they want to do good. And they don't want to be held back because they're too young or they're too this or they're too that. And the, the, this seems off topic somehow. <laughs> I think every young person I know is amazing. That's what I'm going to say. Like teens on up. Susie? Yeah. Um, I just think that, you know, having two uh, young adults as children, or my two children are young adults now, it, it just seems that they... They do want good things, and they are really hardworking and um, mm-hmm. trying to be responsible, productive members of society. And you know what I want—I would actually say it does kind of apply to what we're talking about because, really, the young people today—they want their their point of view heard. They really want to be heard. They don't want to be told what to do. And so really the model is so applicable to the older kids. It's so applicable to right up to however old. It doesn't matter how old you are. People want to be heard. And listened to and understood. And listened to, yeah. And like I'm so struck by the girl. There was a girl who like, I don't know, swam across Lake Ontario or something for cancer. 
and she was told that she couldn't participate in a fundraiser so she was too young because she was too young and she said well then fine i'm going to do my own thing and she did like this amazing amazing thing because she was entitled to raise money for a charity that she wanted to raise money for they weren't going to hear her point of view that i want to participate in this thing they weren't going to hear that they already had their idea of they already had their plan a you're too young to do this and so she said fine i'll do my own thing and she's she's remarkable young woman that's I think that the model applies to people, young people today because they really want to be heard and they're not taking no for an answer. So when people talk about how their negative behaviors, maybe it's because they're not listening to them. Well, that probably goes without saying. Um, you do have a clash there. Kids who want to be heard... Adults who may not think having a kid be heard is especially important. Maybe that whole me generation thing is a bit overblown. That sounds like what you're saying, Anna. And and um, there was something you just said about they want to be heard, and and we've kind of raised them to be that way. And and this is what I want to say. They we only we're encouraging them to use their voice and to be heard until they say something that we don't want to hear and certainly i see that i see i'm going to be this type of person or this type of parent or this kind of mentor until you do something that i don't think is the right decision and then i will do plan a like, I'll do plan B as long as your participation in the empathy step is what I want to hear and I'm going to guide it to be what I hear. But as soon as it's not, it's, uh, then it's wrong. And then I will have to step in and be an authority. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I let my children express their feelings until they say they, they hate grandpa. Or they hate, you know, they, they, then it, until it's a negative And then it's like, ah, no, you can't say you, right? Or I hate the baby. Oh, we let... That's the dichotomy maybe I see a little bit is that they want to be they want us to accept the good and the bad. It sounds like some adults have a slightly um misguided view of what collaboration with a kid means. It doesn't mean being okay with it so long as you're hearing what you wanted to hear. One of the best things about the empathy step is that you sometimes hear things that you didn't expect and that may not exactly be music to your ears um, the assumption in this model is that you do want to know. No matter what you're going to hear, you want to know. If it's your kid's concern or perspective, better to know it than not to know it. And that can be a hard place to be, to hear things you don't want to hear. 
We had well, something a little bit like that here, where yeah, yeah. my son was complaining and complaining, and my husband said, you know, don't let him get started doing that. You know, you have to, like, stop him and say, enough, enough complaining or enough uh, not complaining, like, arguing, 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 arguing. And See, aren't I, the things disagreed. that kids complain about? <laughs> aren't the things that kids complain about unsolved problems? Well, he was. It was more. It wasn't complaint. It was arguing. He was. He. I had asked him a question, and he had got it wrong, and then he got angry. Don't ask me questions like that because, you know, don't leave me alone. I just want to do my own thing, and you know. So he was defending. Actually, he was defending himself. My son. And and my mistake for not being responsible fast responsive fast enough to guide him so that the answer he could come up with the right answer. And so when he didn't come up with the right answer, he became defensive. And that's when he became, got a little bit belligerent. And and I realize that's just a you know a storm that has to pass because he's upset now that he got the answer wrong because that's his personality. And, but my husband was very much, no, he, he, don't let him get started talking like that. That, maybe the, the, the underlying, like, he always needs to be respectful. And he is respectful, he's very respectful. Until the environment puts something in his way that he can't be respectful about it. Susie, what do you think? Um, I want to make sure your voice is heard today. Thank you. I, I'm i just listening. Um, I don't really have any... any uh, tremendous thoughts at the moment. Just that how timely... how timely the model is that... You know, if things were really working so well with our children, uh, we wouldn't have all the um, suspensions and um, problems in school that we're having um, and also uh, just children whose needs haven't been met, who uh, are really far along the spectrum of looking bad and um, unfortunately um, can think of no other way to deal with their problems except for violence. So it's it's just uh, very timely and, and so important to rethink what we're doing because um, what we're doing with conventional wisdom is broken. So back Susie, to have you original... ever met people who said that's not going to work? Um, <laughs> yes, I have. Um, like when you described actually... it. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, led to some bruised relationships um, 
people are very uh, strong-willed and um, believe that their way of doing things is the right way. They're very plan A-ish. Um, so, yeah, that was um, when I was first starting the model, and that was uncharted territory. That was, uh, as a parent, of course, the bottom line is everybody wants what's best for the child and you want to do right by the kid. Um, but this was certainly a, a new and different way of uh, looking at things, doing things. I have a teacher friend who is adamant that they're not willing to be democratic with the child and that they are the authority and in an unbending way. Even when presented with multiple evidences that this is not successful. I mean, and lots of times it is. And but to the like not caring. I don't care. I am the authority. I'm the boss. I'm it the teacher. It would be interesting I'm the boss. to I'm the hear what he would say. I don't know if you've ever heard what he has to say in response to the question, what's up? Where do those beliefs come from? What is he worried about will happen if he isn't that way? I bet he'd have it's an interesting she. tale to tell. It's a she. Has she... Um, ever uh, gone further than what you've said to explain that point of view? Just brush off and don't care. I'm the boss. That's the bottom line is that I'm the boss. So I didn't actually ever engage in why do you think you're the boss? Just a, a rooted belief system of authority. Well, the question is whether there's a really a belief system there or whether this is a um, quick and dirty belief system that actually doesn't have a lot of meat on the bone. It just is what it is. Sometimes, you know, even when we're drilling with kids, perhaps especially when we're drilling with kids, but sometimes with adults too, when we're drilling, we find that um, the stated belief actually hasn't been thought about a great deal. It's just, it is what it is. Um, so it would be interesting to know if this is one of those is what it is that hasn't really been thought about very much, but just is what it is, or whether there's some depth to it about how she was raised what she fears will happen if she alters her way of doing things, whether she can even conceive a scenario in which she would alter doing things. Lots of parents who I've worked with um, have had to think about some of those things um, for us to figure out how to move them beyond a way of thinking that wasn't working for them because it was leading them to treat their kid in a way that was counterproductive and was making things worse. That's not unusual. But um, always interesting to know, is this sort of just a quick and dirty belief system 
or is this one that has some meat to it? And you only get to that by drilling, and you may not be in the ideal circumstance to find that out with that individual, but always interesting to know what you're dealing with. And, of course, that's what we've been talking about a little bit today, especially earlier in the program. Always good to know what you're dealing with. If you have a behaviorally challenging kid in particular, but if you have any kid, good to know what hand you've been dealt. Because if you don't know what hand you've been dealt, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to be responsive to it. I'm betting both of you could tell stories about some of the things you did that you may look back on now and say, I would, done, I would not have done that had I known about what hand I'd been dealt, and I stopped doing it when I learned what hand I'd been dealt. What do you think? That's exactly right. We uh, had been seeking outside help and were told that we just had to be firmer as parents and to um, keep our son in his room when he misbehaved or did something that was inappropriate. And um, it's very difficult to keep a nine-year-old person in their room. Um, Unfortunately, it resulted in some physical force, but of course, as we um, found the model and came to understood that punishment is not effective at changing this type of child's behavior. You know, you never stop to think that the message will never get through. Um, And we became enlightened to a different approach to communicating with our son. Um, We just were heartbroken. We felt terrible hearing, you know, forcing this kid to stay in his room and and punishing him and... and, um, doing things that were making the situation worse. One of the things I've always... There's a lot of... Oh, go ahead, Anna. There's a lot of making kids do stuff. And and when making the kid doesn't work we're going to make them hard we're going to make it we're going to just push them harder and 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 they need to be have be made to do more stuff even though making them stuff has obviously not been effective so far and and i find there's a clinging to you know like that if i don't make them do stuff then you know there's it's just going to be bedlam and chaos instead of harmony and 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 everybody working to get along. I think there's a fear that if you don't make them do stuff, expectations won't be fulfilled. And yeah. um, you can yeah. certainly fulfill your expectations through a plan B conversation. Well, I just old... wish I could sprinkle pixie dust on everyone and, and so they could see that it, it, this can be better. It can be better 
and here's how. Um, good luck on the pixie dust. Um, <laughs> it's the old um, fear that you only have two options. Either you make your kid do stuff or you're being a wet dish rag and he's walking all over you. And, of course, that's what I was running into a lot when it became obvious that plan A was one option. I suppose wet dish rag is a potential option, but there's another way to solve problems besides making kids do stuff. Your concerns are still heard. Your concerns are still addressed. But you've heard and addressed the kids' concerns, too. And um, especially if what we're hearing is that kids these days want to be heard. Um, Plan B seems like a pretty smart play. But also, there's really no downside to hearing the kid and to making sure that his or her concerns get addressed. And nothing about doing that makes you a wet dish rag because if you're doing Plan B, your concerns are going to get heard and addressed as well. And taking us back to our original questions today, while an infant won't be able to put his or her concerns into words, and while there are some 4, 8, 12, 16-year-olds who are delayed in the language processing and communication realm and can't do it very well either. There's no age at which you wouldn't want to try to hear a kid's concerns, clarify them, figure out what they are, and try to make sure that they get addressed, and no reason for that to change beyond infancy. Um, any closing comments from you both? We have about two and a half minutes left in this program just through using the model it's a win-win situation as you've frequently said uh, there's there's only good things that can come by listening to your child and working problems out together um, teaching skills that they're lagging behind in it's seeing it as a uh, developmental delay or uh, a you know possible learning disability. It's just a very uh, humane, compassionate approach to dealing with everyone. Anna, last thoughts? Uh, I think it could be solving problems collaboratively collaboratively the system that works for everyone not just challenging children everyone and uh it, it it's a for me now it is a philosophy for life yeah it's a way of living well i must say i've got the bug myself <laughs> and I think that's a we I, like I was I drank the Kool Aid I I there's no going back there's no going back 
Yeah, I and don't. And I'm glad of it. I don't want to go back. That's my point. I don't want to go back. <laughs> I don't come across, I don't think I've ever heard somebody, maybe, you know, maybe I'll get emails now, who has said to me, you know, I used to collaborate with my kid, but uh, I don't do that anymore. Um, I learned. Um, almost universally, I hear. I used to solve problems unilaterally. Now I solve them collaboratively, and there's no going back. Thank you both, as always, for you. your participation in the program today. We've got one more left in May before we take three months off. But um, thank you both, and we will do it again next month. Sound like Talk a plan? to you next month. Take care. Bye, Susie. Bye, Anna.